Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I'm Rich Valdez. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden in New York City. And we've got the biggest increase in jobs in American history. Jeffrey Epstein, the pedophile extraordinaire, his girlfriend, his partner in crime, his panita, she's been arrested. Ghislaine, or excuse me, Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested in New Hampshire earlier today. And I want to get into Joe Biden, what's going on with him, and a little bit more on this Karl Marx theory of socialism because Marxism has taken root in so many areas of American life. Now, the big headline from this morning, following President Trump's press conference on these record job numbers of 4.8 million new jobs in June, smashed the expectations and left the unemployment rate at just 11.1%. Huge improvement from where it was. Now, what's interesting is I saw some people critiquing this saying, well, duh, those are people just going back to work because nobody's been at work for the last two months. That's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. The fact that people weren't out of work because of something that Trump did. People were out of work because of this damn wretched virus. So as we make improvement with this virus, people go back to work because the economy is still there. People can still spend. If they weren't able to spend, if the bottom was falling out, they wouldn't go back to work. People wouldn't hire them again. And we wouldn't be reducing the amount of people on unemployment. They'd be increasing. Doesn't that make sense? Now, here are a couple of key points from the uh, CNBC article I was looking at. Non-farm payroll rose by 4.8 million in June. Much better than expected. It's an increase of 2.9 million. Like I said, the unemployment rate's down to 11.1. Originally estimated to be 12.4. And nearly 5 million less people who were on temporary layoff are back to work. That's 4.8 million in June, 2.7 million in May. That's a trend in the right direction if I've ever seen one. And thank God for it. Listen to President Trump talking about today's roaring comeback. Check this out. Today's announcement proves that our economy is roaring back. It's coming back extremely strong. We have some areas where we're putting out the flames or the fires, and that's working out well. We're working very closely with governors. So good for him. And when I say him, of course, I mean El Trumpito Donaldus Magnus the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Good for him because he's weathering a storm here and seeing a really sharp drop from 16.8% to 15.4%. Like the president said, these are historic numbers. And as you'd expect with good news like this, it affected all 50 states with positive numbers and it rallied the markets, which are up almost 400%. What's more encouraging to me is that one of the biggest jumps in any sector was leisure and hospitality. 
If you can afford to spend money on leisure and hospitality, you're doing something right. The economy is doing well when we can use our disposable income on leisure and hospitality. I think movie theaters would be packed if they would open. That's good news. The only thing stopping them from being open, in most cases, are Democrats creating these things. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should do what they want and create more damage for coronavirus. Everybody needs to be responsible. Yes, absolutely, no doubt. But at the same time, we need to be figuring out ways to get things done, not to stop things from getting done. Now, while the economy is picking up steam and money's being poured in, money's also being taken out of the New York City Police Department budget. And you may have heard that a billion dollars was recently voted, I think it was last night, the vote, to defund the police by $1 billion. The New York Police Department, NYPD, the guys who were on the front lines along with the Port Authority Police Department that responded to the fires, which eventually were a bombing using two jet planes as missiles, as bombs, here in New York City, 9-11-2001, these same guys that were responding to this terror attack that patrol the streets in New York protect us from terrorism, were defunded to the tune of $1 billion. It's funny how people automatically forget that these are the guys that jump in front of the bullets. All of a sudden, every last cop is a Klansman. Every last cop is a racist. Every single cop is a bad guy. That's bull. And any reasonable person knows it. I think that might be a point that we need to focus on is, do we have any reasonable people left? Does everybody all of a sudden believe that, yes, every cop is a racist? We can't be reasonable anymore. We can't say that there could be a racist cop and there could be a whole bunch of good cops. No, that doesn't exist. There can't be a bad apple amongst a bunch. The whole bunch has to be spoiled. Por favor, give me a break. You got to be kidding me. But that's the picture being painted by the left. And I'm going to get into why they do that defunding in a little bit. But I was really taken aback when I saw this piece in the Epic Times by Zachary Stiber, headline, New York lawmakers cut $1 billion from NYPD budget. The NYPD will see a billion dollars less in funding through an agreement reached that includes $837 million in cuts and transfers. And this is according to a statement from the city council. When combined with associated costs, these cuts remove a billion dollars from the NYPD's ability to spend. It was a hard-fought battle which marks the beginning of the council's efforts to not only limit the size and scope of the NYPD, but also to reimagine. This is the word that they keep using all over the place, reimagine. I don't know why we're imagining police from the beginning in the first place. But again, picking up on their statement, but also reimagine how we structure criminal justice and public safety in this city. And then again, that's from a statement by the New York City Council. The budget, by the way, passed 32 to 17. They've canceled two of the next four incoming police academy classes with brand new recruits. So New York City will have more than 1,100 less police officers next year. They're getting rid of school crossing guards, school safety officers, and homeless outreach. That's exactly what we need in New York. (laughs) No protection for kids in school and no outreach to the homeless. If you've walked through the city as I have at night or even in the middle of the day, I mean, I could share a quick story with you right now on my way here today. And these people are homeless because I've literally for years seen them in the same spot, 34th Street, 8th Avenue. They live over the subway grate. So the train goes beneath the sidewalk. And sometimes I guess to let out air or steam or whatever, there are grates in the sidewalk. 
and this is for all of the listeners that aren't native New Yorkers. It's right outside the Dwayne Reed on 34th Street and 8th Avenue, along the row of city bikes. That grate has been occupied by homeless people all year long in the snow, in the rain. They have carts, cardboard boxes, office chairs. It's amazing the setup that they have there. And when they need to, they pick it up, they wrap it up, and they disappear. The other day I was walking by, and I see a a, a white guy, brown hair, kind of a scruffy looking blue hoodie and he goes up to a skinny woman I'd say Puerto Rican looking lady and he nods at her she nods at him she lives in this permanent homeless encampment right there on 34th street and 8th avenue right adjacent to Madison Square Garden he hands her money she hands him a small white envelope which I'm going to presume to be heroin and she goes into a like a Ziploc bag and pulls out what appears to be a brand new hypodermic needle and gives it to him with his purchase. So you buy your heroin, you get a free, absolutely free, free of charge, hypodermic needle. You know, because we, we say okay to drugs, but we don't want you to get any uh, hepatitis or AIDS or anything like that. I was shocked. This is happening not at the middle of the night, not in an alleyway. This is happening at one o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday. I look to my left. There's a cop standing right outside the front door of the Dwayne Reed. This is happening right while the cops are right there. You look to the other side, to the right, right next to the New Yorker Hotel. They have the street blocked off with one or two cops right there all the time within earshot, clearly visible. I mean, it's across the street diagonally. And I can't say that they don't know, but I can say that they can't do anything because in effect, they would arrest them. Nothing would happen. If lucky, they would be given a desk appearance ticket. They would show up to court and the prosecutor would likely drop the charges and refer them to some sort of counseling. So when they know that there's no real consequence, there's no reason to curtail the behavior because virtue is gone. Civility is gone. I always try to teach my kids, we don't kill people so that we don't go to jail. We don't kill people because it's wrong. It's not right to kill people. When you've lost that semblance of virtue, you're screwed. Then the only thing you have left is the law, are the rules, are the consequences. And when there's none of either, you have decay. And that's what we have around us is a decaying city that's crumbling brick by brick every single day. And it's a damn shame. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about what the heck is going on with this Jeffrey Epstein stuff and some Biden and Marxism. Don't move a muscle. I'll be right back. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America. All right, New York, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. And as promised, I'm going to talk about this thing that went down today. On my way to work, I was shocked. I really was because I didn't think this was going to happen. When I read the news that Ghislaine, spelled Ghislaine Maxwell, I understand it's pronounced Ghislaine, was arrested at a $1 million New Hampshire estate. She's 58 years old, and they got her in Bradford, New Hampshire, this morning, Thursday morning, 
and she's now in custody. She's supposed to be testifying probably as we speak right now, or at least um, taken to court for arraignment. And apparently she'd been in the States. She'd been hiding out there for a little bit. Among the charges she faces in court today, six counts of trafficking minors for sex and perjury for lying about it. Now, these charges apply to incidents that happened back in 1994 and 1997 involving three particular victims, the youngest of which was 14 when Maxwell groomed her. And that's what they believe is that she was the groomer. And by all accounts that I've seen, at least every documentary that's out there right now, this was her job. She was the procurer, right? Epstein was a real fan of teenage girls. And I guess this is like a subset of pedophilia or maybe a different type of disorder altogether, a febophilia. And a febophilia is when an adult is mostly or only sexually attracted to post-pubescent teenagers, usually those between the age range of 15 to 19. People with this type of attraction are called febophiles because they're not necessarily little kids. They're not three, four, five, like some real sickos. Now, I'm not saying Epstein wasn't a sicko. I'm just saying he was a different type of sicko, which it fascinates me that there's so many different types of sickos. You don't know about this stuff until you read about it. Now, a febophilia is not just the sexual attraction to teenage partners, but it's when an adult prefers teenage partners for sex. Okay. A febophilia. Now, the indictment claims that she groomed girls for sex with Epstein and with her in New York, in Florida, in London, and in New Mexico. She's been MIA since Epstein killed himself, quote unquote, at the Manhattan Correctional Facility, which is a uh, Federal Bureau of Prisons facility here in New York. And she's most famous for being the person that introduced Jeffrey Epstein to Prince Andrew. Prince Andrew's been accused of having sex with Virginia Jufre Roberts in 2000 when she was 17 after a night out in London that was organized by Ghislaine Maxwell. So those are the latest updates, and that's coming from the Daily Mail, the UK Daily Mail. What I find interesting is how she was effectively able to abscond herself from the police, from the federal authorities, from whomever it was that was looking for her. Or perhaps she had their help. I mean, you don't know because what does she know about who and where? I'm guessing she's got a lot of dirt on a lot of important people. She knows where the bodies are buried, so to speak. So when that happens, what do you get? You get a situation where people are going to look out for you or you get a situation where people are going to try and take you out because of fear of you turning el raton, turning states, becoming a snitch. And like they say on the street, snitches get stitches. So I don't know what's going to happen to her, but if what happened to Jeffrey Epstein was any indication, I think we can expect this woman to either disappear into the witness protection program or to just plain old disappear. I guess we'll have to wait and see. The cops are going to have their hands filled with this one. Now, I want to talk about Joe Biden and Marxism a little bit. But first, I want to encourage you to check out my friends at JustFacts.com. JustFacts.com is one of the best places for you to get any type of information. They put together a couple of solid studies every year that are based solely on the facts. I mean, they're dealing with primary source data. I always say that JustFacts.com, the JustFacts Foundation, is the premier think tank outside of Washington, D.C. Based out of Jersey, where I reside now, Just Facts puts together some awesome stuff, and I encourage you to check them out. Sign up for their Just Facts daily factoids, as well as their email, because when you sign up for the email, they'll send you all of the new stuff that doesn't cost you a single cent. 
And I've got my own site there, so you can get in right away. It's justfacts.com slash rich, justfacts.com slash rich. When we come back, Joe Biden and my thoughts on how Marxism continues to disrupt what's going on. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. Buenas tardes. Good afternoon, America. I am Rich Valdez. And as promised, I want to talk about Joe Biden. Can Joe Biden effectively govern in Washington? And I mean that quite seriously. He is a part of the establishment. He's proven himself on his governing ability over decades in the United States Senate, over nearly a decade in the White House as vice president of the United States. He has a record and it's not one that he can necessarily stand on. As much as they want to say Eight years of Obama and there was no scandal. What do you call the Fast and the Furious scandal? What do you call the Benghazi cover-up? What do you call the one that Joe Biden was so intimately involved in? Obamagate, Spygate. The fact that Susan Rice, then National Security Advisor, pretty much admits that the Obama administration led at that moment on this particular project by Joe Biden spied on an opposing campaign. They were Democrats. They spied on the Republicans. And in addition to the surveillance of the Republicans, they continued it after Trump was already in the White House. This stuff is mind blowing. And it doesn't help that the people in the media work so diligently to cover it up. But the reason I think that there's a problem with Biden being able to govern is the fact that we're in a global pandemic and he is in the target, as is President Trump. But I think there's a clear difference between the two men. Obviously, Mr. Trump is younger and Mr. Biden is not and would, in fact, be the oldest president we've ever had. Now, this isn't about ageism or racism or anything else. But how does a 78 year old man who will effectively be turning 80 soon enough once he's elected, if that's the case, how does he run the country in a time of a pandemic when by his own admission, He's been hiding in his basement. We can call him Hyden Biden. Hyden Joe Biden has been in his basement for 89 days until he resurfaced a couple of days ago. And should the American people be forced to make a decision like that solely based on who he chooses for vice president because they can pretty much expect that he's in the danger zone? I don't think that's fair. Hell no. I wouldn't want to do it. I think we should have options. And another concern that I think we should all be mindful of is the fact that Matt Margolis puts out today in PJ Media, the headline, Susan Rice accidentally proves that Barack Obama, Biden's boss, not Trump, is guilty of dereliction of duty. And they keep getting on Trump saying that he ignored intelligence, alleged intelligence about Russian bounties on U.S. troops. And I've got to say, this is literally what they do. The enemy's always trying to kill us. So I get that. But I'm not saying it's okay and it should be ignored. I'm just saying I take Trump at his word that The intelligence came. The intelligence people didn't feel that it passed muster so that they didn't bring it to his attention directly. I get it. I mean, Obama did so much worse than that. And he also called ISIS the JV team. Hmm. But despite all of that, this article says that the left is still clinging to the story, hoping that it'll be the next Trump-Russia collusion hoax. But Susan Rice just wrote an op-ed in the New York Times. Oh, the New York Times. You know, on the next episode, I'm going to talk about the New York Times a little bit more in depth because, man, they are just so shameless. But anyway. She writes, as a former national security advisor, I find it exceedingly difficult to believe that no one told Mr. Trump about this intelligence, she claimed. Here's what should have happened. Had I, as national security advisor, received even raw reporting that Russia was paying to kill U.S. service members 
I would have walked straight into the Oval Office to brief the president, saying, Mr. President, I want to make sure that you're aware that we have trouble reporting that Russia's paying the Taliban to kill our forces in Afghanistan, emphasizing that this would have happened in any prior administration of any political party. So according to Rice, that it apparently did not happen is deeply troubling to her, and this raises a myriad of questions. Now, Rice's argument, based on the facts, is that intelligence wasn't simply raw or unverified. An intelligence official with direct knowledge told Catherine Herridge of CBS News that the intel on the Russian bounties reached new low levels, but the NSC didn't go further because it was deemed uncorroborated, as did the Department of Defense. An NSC official also told Herridge that a review of Trump's personal daily briefings showed that the intelligence assessment about the Russian bounties was not included in them. I'll read that again. An NSC official also told Catherine Herridge from CBS that a review of Trump's presidential daily briefings showed that the intelligence assessment about the Russian bounties was not included in them. If the intelligence was disputed and uncorroborated, it seems very unlikely that anyone would have made a point to inform Trump about the intelligence. Going on to say, if presidents were made aware of every bit of disputed and uncorroborated intelligence, one could only imagine how little time there would be for anything else. Rice is in effect saying that the credible information about Trump would have walked in to the Oval Office with her as National Security Advisor straight to Obama if they had credible information about Trump. And if they didn't, then maybe Obama would have some plausible deniability. And that is the smoking gun admission. And I got to say, it makes a lot of sense. So kudos to Matt Margolis on that article. It was really good. I want to get into Marxism because as I take a look at social media, watch the news, listen to the radio, check out a podcast, whatever it is, one thing remains to be the same, that an entire part of our country is willing to allow the mob to take away our civilization as we know it to take it away from our children because they're scared, they're disinterested, and maybe some of them are just lazy. They're afraid to lose money. They're afraid to lose their job. They're afraid to lose their lifestyle or their status. So they look to someone else to do the work of defending America. Guess what? The left isn't doing that. The left is not looking to the leaders on the left to do it. The left is in the streets every single day. They're out there in every election. They're in every newsroom. They're in every college campus. They're everywhere because they're serious. They mean business. This is the key to success. They're fighting a war and we're watching them fight it. They're seizing opportunity after opportunity and taking institution after institution and we're just sitting back and watching them. All it takes is for us to be on the same front line as them. For people to say, well, no, all the college campuses are left wing. They, they're run by leftists. There's no way we can get in. Sure there is. Where there's a will, there's a way. Because to say there isn't a way, then you might as well just close your eyes and just wait for the end. No way. There are so many solutions. Getting involved in charter schools, getting involved in your local school board, getting involved in local government, getting involved in a congressional campaign, getting involved in a Senate campaign, getting involved in a mayoral campaign. Help the campaign, promote the campaign, run the campaign, be the candidate. Now, if that sounds crazy, listen to this. They're getting rid of police. They're voting to defund and abolish cops. I think that sounds a lot crazier than so many of us getting out of our comfort zone to make a difference. So where does this whole abolish the cops thing come from to begin with? If I had a guess, I would say that it comes from Marx and his uh, ilk like Friedrich Engels. 
and a particular phrase comes to mind, which is withering away of the state. Now, earlier today, I got a uh, one of those private messages that you get. I don't check them very often, but I got one of those direct messages from somebody and their comment about something I put that was against communism, against socialism, against Marxism. And what this person told me was that Marx wasn't interested in government takeovers. Marx was an economist. And I would say, to be honest, that's truly only half the story. Marx was a political revolutionary, and you could not implement his economic system but for the strength of the government. And that's not just my own deduction. That's actually how Marx taught it. Here's a quote from Marx himself. The executive of the modern state, the government, is nothing but a committee for managing the common affairs of the whole bourgeoisie, the elite ruling class. That's Karl Marx. Marx's economic theory wasn't possible without a political philosophy to implement it. His whole argument of workers, what he called the proletariat, versus the elite, what he called the bourgeoisie, it's based on government coercion. It's the government that will force corporations to, quote unquote, give workers their fair share. It's the government that will implement the tax policy to eliminate class disparity as they see it. So in his own words, in his book, The German Ideology and in the Communist Manifesto, Marx needed to change or totally eliminate the government for his social theory to work. And that's where this term withering of the state comes into play. That withering away of the state, it's the idea that without the realization of socialism, the social institution of a state will only become obsolete and disappear as the society will be able to govern itself without the state and its coercive enforcement of law. Now, this is very different from the idea of liberty, where our self-governance is based on our ability to govern ourselves, not because of the absence of government or the absence of law enforcement, but because true liberty is all ours, and it's our constitution, if you will, that just limits the coerciveness or intrusiveness or strength of the government, of the state. But the entire idea of withering away of the state is that destruction that the government will eventually become obsolete, gone. And you go from one extreme to the other, from total government control to total anarchy, two extremes that I'm not interested in. That's all I've got, America. Until the next one, hasta la próxima. Stand up for something, please. Because if you don't stand for anything, like Hamilton said, you'll fall for anything. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for you to sit there and do nothing. And that's a paraphrase from Sir Edmund Burke. So get out there and do something. Learn something. Know something. Say something. Reach somebody. Teach somebody. And help keep America, America for another generation. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. 